welcome to The Pursuit of Life, where we share inspirational and action-focused stories to help you live a life of adventure. Proudly presented by Knightswood House. Now, please welcome your host, David Hazelwood. So I'm joined today by Kari Baines, and I'm delighted to welcome her onto the show. Kari runs a business called Different Strokes Swimming, which is an adult swim school. And she set this up a number of years ago because of her love for swimming, coming out of a, a corporate background. So we'll get into that and talk about how she's going and what she's doing and how it all started. But welcome to the show, Kari. Thank you, David. Um, great pleasure to be here. Now, Kari, I'm going to take you not too far back, I know, but just to give us some background on where you've come from. And so I'm going to ask you, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> was that when you were in kindergarten because you had a really nice teacher? Or? Yeah, I think possibly it was. And I liked small babies and, you know, so yeah. But even through my primary school years, I think that was always sort of an underlying dream. Yeah. And then when I finished school, I didn't realise that dream, but I did sort of in my mid-20s go and study childcare up in the Northern Rivers. Okay. Um, so I did. And then I went from there and worked in Britain. I did a working holiday, sort of 25 years of age, and worked in childcare centres and as a nanny over there. So I did actually, you know, engage with it, with my childhood dream a little bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. How did you go from there into the corporate world where you spend a lot of time as well? Well, in that time in my life when I was in London, it was um, economically a, a pretty difficult time without revealing my age too much. It was in the <laughs> 80s. It was in the 1980s. Childcare workers weren't paid a lot of money and London's a very expensive city and it's not a very nice city to be poor in. Yep. And someone I knew steered me towards a telephone sales commission only job in a publishing company. And I had two weeks worth of savings, so enough to pay my rent for two weeks. So I thought I'd give it a go. And so I did. And on my second day there, I sold a full colour, full page ad, which was kind of a rarity. And so it drew me quite a lot of commission. And I ended up continuing to work for them on a, probably close to 18 months. Yeah, wow. And, and so that kind of started my sales background and, you know, it was very much high pressure, commission only, telephone sales, a lot of fun and a good entree into selling um, business and most of the people that we were contacting were small business operators. So you kind of got a bit of a sense about that. Yeah, okay. That's a really big jump though to go from childcare to, um, you know, to direct sales. Absolutely. And I just didn't, to be honest, I, I didn't think I would last more than a couple of weeks. And I was quite prepared to go back to the childcare agency, you know, go back looking for more work. But, you know, London looks a lot brighter when you have a bit of money in your pocket <laughs> and you're in your 20s than it does when you're very, very poor, struggling to sort of make the tube fare home. So, and working a lot of long hours in a childcare centre. So it brightened up my London experience. Did I ever think that it would, you know, blossom on from there to move on to a fully fledged corporate career when I returned to Australia? No, I saw it as something that would, you know, 
I mean, I was in my 20s, so I was living for the moment, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was amazing what desperation can, uh, yeah, can force <laughs> you to right. do as well, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. And I guess the other thing was it was a very, it was a fun job. I worked with fun people. And I think often um, who you surround yourself with really is indicative of the way that you work and how you work and why you continue to work where you do. I mean, I've found that all the way through my career that, Oftentimes, it's not necessarily about the role, but about the person or the people that I'll be working with and what I'll learn from them and the yep. experience I'll gain. So Yeah, okay. Mm. So you did that for 18 months. You came back to Australia. Yep. And then jumped into... I just got into a couple of... I did a couple of commission-only jobs and I, uh, without going all the way back through, um, yeah. I, did, I did sales. I did corporate sales for an office product and supply company and then... I worked my way back into publishing and ended up working the last 16 years of my corporate life at News Corp Australia. Okay. Mm. And then you get to the end of that period and you decided that you'd go and set up a swim school. Get to the end of that period. (laughs) That's right. Well, I had actually learned to swim during the last few years of my time at News Corp. So I could swim breaststroke, but I couldn't swim freestyle. So I learned to swim freestyle at 48. And it was just, again, as you know, it's like these flips of coins, right, in life. I was, went to my local swimming pool with a, a friend of mine and I saw a guy that I used to work with at News who was teaching an adult to swim. And I asked him if he would teach me and he very generously offered. And so I had lessons with him. And over the course of 18 months or a little bit more, I got up to swimming 20 laps of freestyle continuously. And I found that it really resonated through all my all the dealings of my life, really, that whole experience of learning a physical skill at an older age and realising that you could do it. To be honest, I thought I was a lost cause. And when John agreed to teach me, I, I thought, oh, this is, you know, we'll do it for a couple of weeks and then he's going to go, go away, Kari. This is <laughs> never going to work. Go, go play golf like everybody else in their 40s, you know. But I didn't. I persevered and I practiced every day and I found a love for it. And I found that it made me feel good to be in the water and calmer. And the challenge of trying something physical and achieving and seeing that I was improving each time, each class was really quite special. And so I, used, I started to use a lot of the analogies in my corporate life. I remember having a conversation with my boss at work and telling him that, you know, we need to think about the glide, that sometimes less is more and holding it and, you know, all yeah. the other, all the sort of terminology started to go through and ripple into my work a little bit. And so I also, in the course of that time, was I was talking to lots of adults who fessed up that they couldn't swim either or that they weren't particularly good at swimming. And I ended up backfilling my lessons and adding people to John's sort of Saturday mornings much to I think he was very generous in doing it but I think he was well this has got to stop (laughs) Uh, uh, because you know people would stop me you know during the course of you know, social engagements or at work and say, you know, what are you doing? You look fantastic. And I said, well, actually, I'm willing to swim. And then they would confess that they really couldn't swim either and that how they'd always wanted to do it. And so at the end of that period, I said to John, you know, I could set you up. Like, I just know so many people that would love to come and take lessons from you. But it wasn't a course that he wanted to take. And so I thought, well, you know what? When I finish with a corporate world, enough's enough. I'll set up an adult swim school. 
So that's what I've done, or the swim school for adults, rather. Yeah, because it's such a big thing in yeah in Australian culture. Mm. Swimming is yeah one of those things that is assumed that everyone can do. Yeah, everyone learns to swim as a kid, and yeah, we're surrounded by water, and yeah, with the hot summers and things like that. It must be a real a real challenge to admit that as an adult that you can't swim. I think it is. And the interesting part for me was that, you know, my parents will swear black and blue they sent me to swimming lessons. And, you know, and I went to a private girls' school and I have no idea what I did in the swim carnivals, but I must have hidden in the toilets or something. But I don't ever remember jumping off a block and racing. I vaguely remember taking swimming lessons and being pretty disenchanted with the whole thing. But it never... Whatever I taught, I could swim breaststroke, but whatever was taught to me about freestyle just didn't stick. And one of the interesting things that I have come to learn or aspects of my business that I've come to learn is that probably 30% of our clientele have had or been impacted by a near drowning experience. And there was always in my family a bit of anxiety around the water. My mother's Scandinavian and didn't learn to swim and had a quite a, has, and still does have quite a phobia about water. And my father um, was a bronze sort of Aussie body surfer guy who sort of came from that school of, you know, he, I remember him once taking me out the very deep at Harbord and I got dumped and he just thought that was the funniest thing and I was so terrified, you know. But he he was at school of hard knocks, of, come on, get up, you'll do it again. But in fact, I was completely petrified. But interestingly enough, my younger brother had a near drowning when he was a baby. He crawled into a swimming pool at, at the house of friends of my parents at a cocktail party. And it was in the days when people didn't put fences around pools. Mm. And I, I do remember the ambulance coming and I remember the absolute panic of the adults and I was a toddler at the time. And I think that experience, and even today, my mother can't speak about that without sort of getting quite emotional. Yeah. Um, and so I think that resonates in families. And although it wasn't me and my brother doesn't, obviously he was a baby, he doesn't remember any of it, but I think it resonates. And so a lot of our clients might talk about an incident that maybe didn't happen to them, but happened to someone in their family that yeah. has carried through energetically to the rest of the family members about, you know, be careful near water, don't go near the edge, stay back. So it is interesting how many people have had a dreadful incident or episode or someone in their family with water. Yeah. So we do do quite a bit of work in that space of helping people really come to grips with feeling safe and comfortable in the aquatic environment. Which is, yeah, it's incredible, that statistic, you know, 30%. Mm. Yep. And often they don't, you know, it's sort of, sometimes you have to really prize it out of them. It might be by the sixth class or less. And you, does something, you know, happen? And they go, oh, well, actually, yeah, my, you know, my dad threw me into a dam or my brothers jumped on me or someone pushed my head underwater in a swim class or whatever it is. It's something that has stuck and has really affected their, their feelings about it. The majority, just moving on about the sort of customer segments that we have, the majority of our clients are, in fact, new Australians or overseas visitors or overseas students or refugees, and they fill the bulk. And again, as you quite rightly mentioned at the start, it's synonymous for them as part of their integration into becoming Australian to be able to swim. And they see it as that you've got to be able to do it. 
Yep. Otherwise, you can't be a fully blown Aussie. You know, <laughs> that, that's, that's part of what, it, what it's all about for them. And, you know, they feel amazing when they achieve as anyone does, you know, everyone yeah. feels amazing. And it, for me, it's one of the highlights of my day is seeing someone swim their first 50 metres and when they never thought they could do it and they couldn't put their head under the water to start with. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. Mm. And so the school's been running for five years now? Yeah, five years, yeah. Yeah, wow. And so how many people have you put through the, the school now? Uh, we've put probably close to 1,600 have, wow. ha- have gone through either, you know, through private lessons or swim classes. Um, yeah, we've had that many come through. So, yeah, it's, it's great. I've got a team of, I mean, it varies because it's a seasonal business, and, but, you know, around 16 people on the team from the people that help me in the office all the way through to instructors and coaches. Yeah. And, David, we've got the whole journey, so we can take you from never having put your head under the water and get you to swim across Bondi and everything in between. So we've got learn to swim classes, you know, obviously private lessons if you prefer one-to-one. We've got a bridging squad called Swim Fit, which is our entry-level squads. We've got regular squads. We've got master classes. We've got video clinics. We've got open water training programs. So, yeah, you can basically, if you stick with us, we can get you along the whole aquatic journey. Journey, yeah, wow. Yeah. Now, you got into this because you love swimming. Yes. You know, you've told me about some of the, the trips you've done, the swim treks and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. How do you go juggling the business, which was born out of your love for swimming, with actually being able to enjoy it? Look, it's not easy. I think sometimes I have to go back into the water quietly and remind myself why I did it. So at those moments when I sort of wishing and that I had that, that or if I feel that the passion is kind of dying a little bit or I'm wishing that it was a bit more accelerated, I'll take myself off and, you know, go and swim in the ocean or Wiley's bars and just remember that whole feeling of the water on my body and the reason why I did it. But you're right. It's that whole work-life balance is very tricky and trying to make sure that the flame doesn't go out on my passion is also a constant concern for me to make sure I keep vigilant about it. One of the things I do do, which helps me, is I sign up or for or register for big events. So last year I did three significant events. So I was in a relay, which I've now done the last three years at Lake Argyle in uh, May. And yeah. so I, I was in a 10K relay team. And then in August I swam in the Thames Marathon which is a 14K swim, and I did that solo. And so I trained up for that, and I really committed to my training program this time Um, because, as you pointed out, the business gets in the way. I did a 10K swim in Lake Windermere the year before, and I hadn't trained properly for it, and it was evident by the end of the swim that I was really struggling. So I've now learned the value of training (laughs) the hard way you can't wing everything in life and you can't wing a 10k swim (laughs) Um, and then I went on to Fiji in October and did a 10k swim at Manor Islands but the 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 biggest swim for me was a 14k down the Thames and because I had I really had to get serious about my training for that and committed it made me really re-engineer the way that I work 
and to make sure that I made time for that training and the elements of that, which not only included just the personal time in the water, but dry land training programs, chiropractic and body work and care to make sure that I wouldn't do any damage to my shoulders and so forth, dietary, you know, vigilance. So there was, a, there was quite a bit around it. And even and just I, giving yourself time to recover, I'd imagine, as well. And time to recover. So I did have to re-juggle things and, you know, find time in the day, which when you're historically from a corporate background, nipping off at 11 o'clock in the morning to Balmoral Beach to, to knock out some Ks just feels really wrong, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just totally against my whole sort of, you know, working history. But that's what I had to do because that was a window in the day when I could actually go and do that and I would leave the guys in the office say, I'm, I'm out of here now and I'm, I'm going to knock out some case. But yeah, that's what you had to do. That's what I had to do anyway. And so I had to find these sort of weird times, well, weird to me, to yeah. go and do this stuff um, because otherwise I just wasn't going to get the training in and get and be prepared. And in a funny sort of way, it helped me regain some balance in my life because as I think most small business owners are aware your small business is your baby and you know I'm always on you know we go on holiday or I go you know on these swim, uh, swim track swims abroad I have my computer there I'm always on I'm always checking emails twice a day and you know I've been known in a storm in Glasgow to be crafting up a newsletter to send out you know like it's it's you know it's just you I'm always on the business so I'm hoping at this point now, five years later, that I'm at a position now where I can tone that down a bit so I'm not always on because I'm not necessarily, I don't believe it's actually very, it's definitely not helpful for me and those involved with me, my partner and my family, but it's also not, um, I don't think it makes you the most productive person. I think you do need to switch off. Yeah, and find some time to do that. Yeah, and find some time to do that. And in, traditionally, swimming has been that time. So if I can separate it out from the business and just remember to go back and find my mojo again in the water and just remember why I started and how good it feels for me, then all is restored. I would have thought in the, uh, in the age of Insta and all the rest of it, nipping off to Balmoral at 11 o'clock and posting the fact that you're doing swim, you know, yeah. your swimming then would have been fantastic for business anyway. <laughs> look, it was, look, I think it was. And I did, I did post, make some posts from the beach. <laughs> it was. And I, did, uh, I found a friend of mine who came and swam with me as well. And yeah, it was lovely. And it was actually, in a, we had a little run in with a bull shark there. So it was, uh, it was uh, 11 o'clock on a beautiful, bright, sunny morning. So yeah, it's just, I think when you are brought up in the corporate oh, yeah. experience, doing that feels like you're playing hooky. Yep. But what I have to remind myself is that my day often starts at five in the morning or sometimes 4.30 when a coach might ring in sick. And then, you know, I'm on really from that time onwards to sometimes I'm teaching till eight o'clock at night, you know, so I am on, on. So my day is different to a regular office workers day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you wish you could do more with your money? Knightswood House is a financial advisory firm that specialises in working with successful business professionals who share a passion for endurance sports or other adventures. People often come to us for one of three reasons. One, they aren't where they imagined they'd be financially at this point in their life. 
too, they feel frustrated that they are earning good income but aren't doing more with it. And three, they are concerned that they don't have a strategy to make the lifestyle they're working so hard for feasible, both now and in the years ahead. Underlying all of these are nagging doubts about the future and a concern that they aren't maximising the opportunities created by their hard work. We have a nine-step process we take you through which will simplify your financial affairs and take much of the hassle out of your hands, provide you with certainty that the strategy you choose to implement is right for you, and finally, get rid of those nagging doubts and give you confidence that you are on track to achieving the things that are most important to you. Ultimately, we can help you leverage your professional achievements into financial success so you can enjoy a life that is truly remarkable. For more details, head to knightswood.com.au. Okay, back to the show. Now, how do you, when you're swimming, are you concentrating on swimming? Are you thinking business? Do you just stare into the blackness and you know, focus on the black mm. line? What, what do you actually think about while you're doing, these, doing the swims? The big long ones? Um, yeah, and even just the training. And the training. Okay, so when I'm doing the training, I'm, I'm quite focused on my technique and making the times. So I do a lot of interval training, so you're hard, easy, hard, easy. So you're, you're always looking at making your times. So... The best way to make your times is a combination of your swim fitness and your technique. So always mindful of your technique. And often as you get tired, that starts to pair, <laughs> fall away a bit. <laughs> away a bit. So you've got to remind yourself again about that. So in the training, and the training's mixed up. So you don't just swim 5Ks. You know, you're, you're mixing it up. You might do 500 metres of, you know, easy freestyle. And then you might do... I don't know, 10 fifties of 25 hard, 25 easy on a set time. And then you might put some hand paddles on and then you might do 500 of that. And then you might do 500 of hand paddles and pool. And so you're mixing it up. You might do, you know, building on two, you know, on kick or, or whatever it is. So you're working different parts of your body. When I do a swim in an event, it's an interesting thing. So there's things to look at. I mean, people don't always think about the magic that you see in the water. So there is magic, you know, in the ocean, you look down and you can see some marine life. You can often, you know, see the, the way that the, the light hits into the water and dapples on it under the water. So there's some beautiful things to see. So that's lovely to see those things. Um, I, I, again, I do think about my stroke and my breathing. When you're doing long swims, you're also thinking about when it's time to feed. So you need to ingest food, uh, substance and hydration. So you are thinking about those times and points as well. And I guess just also counting how far you've come and how much further you've got to go. So you're always mindful of where you're sitting, where you're sitting within the group that you're swimming in, in terms of the rest of the people in the course. Like, yeah, so your mind wanders a bit. I don't think about the business when I'm swimming. Yeah. I, really, I really don't. The only time I will do it is when I'm training with my own squad and I'm mindful of my clients around me. So if someone stops suddenly, I'm like, oh, you're right. You know, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm on when I'm training with my own squad in terms yeah. of business owner. But beyond that, I don't think about the business at all when I'm swimming. Yeah, which, which is, is a great spot to be in. Which is a great spot to be in and actually a really good reason why you need to continue it. And I think swimming is a great a great panacea to helping 
not only stress release, which is what I found when I started learning to swim, but also I think it, you know, obviously when you're training, you're releasing endorphins and so you your mental health is always much better um there's a saying among swimmers no one ever feels bad after a swim and it's true so <laughs> i've never met anybody get out of the water even those people that have gone into the water feeling very decidedly average at the start <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason a big night or whatever <laughs> everyone feels much much better after a swim you, you never you never feel bad no, I don't do very much swimming, but I feel exactly the same way after going for a run. And it's um, surprising the parallels. I mean, yeah, I, um, when I go running, it's you're focusing on your technique and your breathing and, mm. yeah, and occasionally kind of glancing around to, to see what's going on. And um, sometimes not glancing around enough, like uh, the other morning, I fell over the footpath because it was sticking up on me. <laughs> 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 you'd think uh, you'd actually watch where you were going but no no oh my gosh yes well i mean that does happen too a bit in swimming particularly in open water because you can go off course yeah. so you, you're always got to be siding for the boys or the landmarks that you're supposed to be looking for and it is easy to go off course so yes again a bit like your pavement <laughs> <laughs> so how do you juggle because you spoke about um you know, your relationship and your family and things like that. And so last year was obviously a big year for travel and, and for swimming and things like that. Is that something that your family participate in? Are they, do they swim? Does your partner swim? Yes, my partner does swim. He swims religiously seven days a week, two and a half Ks. He's a, wow. he's a man of discipline and it doesn't matter where we are in the world. So our locations in terms of accommodation are always based around a swimming pool so <laughs> i have to say i think we are the only people that go to bali with an alarm clock uh, <laughs> so we can find that sweet spot of the cleaners finishing in the oh, resort pool before the kids get in there so we have been known to travel across rome in search of a 25 meter pool um <laughs> but uh so he swims seven days a week he swims for the health benefits of it, really, and that he's very passionate about that as part of his health regime. Yep. He doesn't participate in the long swims like me. So he will come along to those events, but he doesn't enter them. He figures if he's done his swim in the morning, that's enough for him. So we view swimming differently. And in fact, we met in the swimming pool. So after I'd learned to swim, I met him in the, in the lane of our local pool. So, that's, we, so we, our, our relationship was born out of swimming anyway. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, he, he does come with me and participate in the events and, you know, barrack for me on the side. But, and we build our holidays often around these events. And I have promised this year, well, so far this year, it's only February, but I have promised <laughs> that, that we will we'll have a swim event free year and we'll just take holidays for the sheer joy of taking holidays. Yeah. Because that's where I take my holidays. And it isn't actually that relaxing then when you've got a train up for a, an event, you know, before my 14K swim last year, you know, I was training up in a hotel pool in Singapore, you know, on the way through just, you know, 25 metre hotel pool swimming, oh, you know, wow. five, five and a half Ks or whatever was, uh, you know, you felt like a goldfish bowl, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just up and down, down yeah. up and down, up and down, <laughs> just to keep the last bit of fitness on as I was tapering off. So, you know, it is uh, this year, I think we're having time out from the big events anyway. Yeah, wow. Now, that, just on that, that Thames swim, mm. so where did that start and finish? Started in Henley and finished at the Mallow Bridge. 
uh, it is quite a lovely thing. Well, it's a lovely thing to do anyway, because you're swimming past some of the most valuable real estate in Britain. So that it is, I did occasionally put my head up and go, oh my gosh, look at that mansion. <laughs> You know, wow. And it's not big, like it's not, you know, the tent gets quite small in parts. Yeah, so it's yeah. not that, and it's not, there is a bit of sea watercraft on there, but it's not that big sort of sea craft kind of shipping lane that you find further down, obviously, near London. But you actually have to climb over three locks. So you have to get out, <laughs> climb over three locks and jump back in again, which just makes it so delightfully quirky. Yeah. Just a lovely, lovely thing to do. And you know, the, the swimming community is pretty amazing in that swim in particular, but I've seen it in many others. When swimmers have lost um, certain items, like one of the swimmers lost their goggles, someone else was carrying a spare pair of goggles with them and they gave them to that swimmer, you know. So it's just, you know, everyone helps everybody else out. Even yeah. though you're eating, it's an event, you know, everyone wants to get a good time. Everybody helps everybody else. So it's really quite lovely. But it, it was one of the most picturesque parts of England. And it's a beautiful swim to do, actually. And you are, it's, you know, people say, oh, did you have a lot of flow? Everyone talks about the flow of the river and tidal assistance and so yep. forth. But it had been a pretty dry period. So there wasn't much flow, which we were all like, please rain. Please rain. <laughs> please rain. <laughs> Any sort of assistance. Any sort of assistance would be great. But there wasn't much. Yeah. Oh, well. So in terms of um, you know, things like that, what are some of your dream events that you'd love to be able to go and do? Okay, so the next one on my, in my sights or the next one on my horizon is to do the Gibraltar Strait. So swim from yeah. Europe to Africa. So yeah. that's 14 and a half Ks. It's actually quite a cue to do it. So what people I don't think non-swimmers aren't quite aware of is that these swims have now got quite busy because they're very popular. So there's a three-year waiting list to get onto that swim. So you do have to register and you have to register your times ahead so that they can be safe in the knowledge that you can actually complete the swim when they put you on. Because there's also a limited window for some of these swims in terms of tides, time of the year, etc. And so that's one I'm looking at. Um, and there's been a bit of an issue recently. Apparently the organisers were telling me there's been sort of some diplomatic issues between Spain and Morocco. So I'm not sure that sort of the swims have stopped. So that's pushing them back a bit further. But apparently that's quite a good swim. And one of my swim coaches who I uh, have a lot of time for, and she's incredibly well, very well experienced. She's taken about 30 people across a lot of major marathon swims, the English Channel, Manhattan Island, or whatever. She's, she suggested that's my next swim. And I, I think she's right. I guess the channel is always something that everyone, any, every swimmer that does open water swimming thinks I must do that one day. But again, very, very busy swim. And none of these swims are inexpensive. You know, it's quite a lot of expense to get yourself up for that. And the training program around that's quite extensive as well. So they'd all take planning. You can't just rock up to Dover and go, give me a boat and let's, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. And they're not easy swims. Like none of these swims, I don't believe, are easy. And, and that's why you want to do them, right? Because yeah, that's yeah, why that's part, it's, it's part of the fun is that you've challenged yourself and you've, and you've achieved and you've, you know, you've realised your goal, you've succeeded. And in, when it comes to open water swimming, I'm not particularly fussed about times, given that I've come to this rather late in life and I'm never, ever going to be one of those that has a podium finish unless, you know, 
as you get older, it's always better because your age category. <laughs> but, but, but outside of that, there's a lot of people sitting in my age category at the moment. I'm going to have to look, keep myself alive for a very long time for a podium finish. Uh, yeah. But um, but I think it's just the fact that you've succeeded, that you've done it, you know, is really the thing. And I, you know, I, that's what I say to my clients, you know, you did it, you've achieved, you, you know, you've done your first 50 metres, you've done your first 100 metres, you've swum just your first 1K, you, you know, like it's all achievement. And that's it's, what we should be holding on to. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's often so hard in a, in a lot of people's day-to-day lives. Yeah, there's kind of a never-ending Thing that is this that is work you know we're not all you know builders and, and people who make things and that sort of stuff you can point to something and say there's a start there's a finish and I've done that whereas in mm-hmm. work oftentimes it can just be an ongoing process and there's not actually anything that you can point to really and say you know that was something I ticked off that's right and I think particularly for women over 50 because the corporate world's not particularly kind to women over 50 and when you go into any of these open water swims and you stand there at Bondi or Coogee or anywhere to you line up in the marshalling area, there is a bunch of women there that are 50 onwards who are mothers, business women, wives, partners, whatever, that it's often doing their first ocean swim. They're nervous, they're excited and they want to succeed and they, and they are just exuberant when they come out the other end. And it's where you can achieve. No one cares what you've done before. No, no one cares who you are, what you've done, where you've been. You've, you've done it for yourself. And I think today, particularly for women, older women, swimming provides so much in the way of success where they can't find it in other areas of their lives, particularly in the workplace, where body image Yes, initially people get concerned, but in the end you just forget all that. It's all about the swim. It's not about what you look like. And so everyone, you know, reveres you for having achieved it. They don't care whether you got into a size 10 or 8 cosy or whether you're still in a size 14. It doesn't matter. You know, it's that you did the swim. And so I think for women in particular, and I guess I can speak because I am a woman, that it is, it offers a lot and it gives a new lease on life where often many women feel that they're coming to the, you know, they're hitting the twilight zone in their career. And, you know, in terms of their body, menopause, all these other things are going on, which are causing discomfort. And it's a very honest thing as well, isn't it? Because really the, your results and your achievements are based on how much you put into it. You know, there's no politics, there's no, nothing else gets in the way. If you do the work, then you'll get the result. Exactly. And I think it offers a community of support as well that you don't always find in, in other aspects of your life at the same level. It's, you know, everyone has a group of friends and everyone has their work colleagues and everyone has their family. But I'm sure like you with your running, you find that there's a, there's a cohort there that you all get it. We're all there in the dark in the morning by the side of the pool and we get it. And we come from such a vast array of backgrounds but we are all linked deeply and emotionally with the water. And that's Mm. what we're there for. And everything else goes away. And I think that is such a special thing. And the swimming community I know is strong and it supports its people. And yeah. Yeah. It's the, 
and it's that shared experience, the shared suffering to an extent, but yeah, yeah. the yeah, it really does bond people, doesn't it? It does bond people and you know, the conversations are all around how did you go in the swim and what else are you doing this weekend? And no one cares that, you know, I mean, obviously people are competitive to a degree, but no one's put down. Everybody is supported and uplifted by the experience, which I think is really lovely. Yeah, it's a, such a, a truism. Now, on some of those longer swims that you've done, I mean, they must get to, you must get to a point there where your body's just screaming at you that you want to stop or it mm. wants to stop. How do you keep yourself going? What, what do you tell yourself? How do you train your mind to do that? So on my first 10K swim, it was six laps of a circuit in Lake Windermere. It was very cold. It was wetsuit. So you, you had to wear a wetsuit unless you had special clearance. And by the time I got to the second lab, I didn't think I could go on. I was cold. My feet were freezing. And I started to struggle with my breathing and I couldn't get my arms to work properly as I would have hoped. And so it felt like I actually just thought I can't go on. And I remember my partner saying to me before I went in, you know, you can just always swim to the side and come out of the lake if you just can't do it. But I said, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm never going to do that. And so that was where I learned that for, for swimmers on marathon swims, that the important part is around feeding. And so I had missed one feeding station because I was worried that I was going to be too slow. And so I realized the error of my ways. And once I started feeding, it actually helped so many aspects of my swimming. I felt warmer. I had the stamina and the energy to keep going. So I realized the importance of feeding on a marathon swim. So that was number one. So when I'm swimming and how do I keep going, I think about the next feed. Um, <laughs> so if I feel like I'm falling away, I think there's not much longer to the next feed. So that's, that is certainly something that keeps me going. It's very basic and nothing sort of, you know, particularly spiritual or dynamic or yeah. inspiring about it, but it, it, the feed is what keeps you going. Yeah. Um, and when I start to ache and pain, I just tell myself, you've got to keep going. Like you, others are doing it. They're in it with you. You're in it. You're all in it together. You can do this. I think you just got to remind yourself you can do it because you can do it. Yeah. Because you can. And you just got to remember that you can Others have done it before you. There are people ahead of you. There are people behind you doing it tougher. Everybody is doing it in their own way. And you can do this. I just have to remind myself I can do it. And just relax. I think the other part is everything in swimming is better when you're relaxed. Yes. So it's always about relaxing. But once you start to feel aches, it's just relax. So when swimming is about relaxing the hands, if your hands are uptight, then the stress goes all the way through to your shoulders and goes into the rest of your body. So it's always about having relaxed hands. So you keep your hands relaxed. So if you start to feel um, like it's all hurting, I start to look at where the pain points are and what I can do to kind of relax them. Yeah, well, it's, it's really simple though, isn't it? But it's yeah. so hard to do sometimes. Exactly. Now, the only other question that I wanted to ask you, and one of the things that I do with all the guests on the show is I ask you to set a challenge for the listeners out there of something that they can do in the next week based on, you know, the conversations that we've had that uh, they can do to kind of make a difference in their life. So, you know, we've spoken about a lot of the things that you've done and, you know, the work that you do with people in helping them to achieve and things like that. If 
you could think of one thing to, that people could set themselves to do, what would it be? Mm, I think I would say to people, find something that inspires you and go and grab it and just start to work towards that. So if you, ideally, I'm going to say this as being physical because I actually think, and I'm not sure of the age of your listeners, David, but I think for any adult at any age, but particularly for older people, doing something physical is crucial to longevity. So I would say physical. So find something, uh, table tennis, golf, swimming, running, whatever it is, and then set yourself some sort of realistic but slightly out of reach goal for it and do it and go for it. That's what I would say. And, and you know, I don't know how to run. I can't run 500 metres, right? I really can't. And, I, and I'm quite keen to sort of learn how to run. And I ask people how you do it. And someone said to me, you just, you walk from one tree, then you run to the next tree, then you walk to the next tree, then you run to the next tree, right? You probably... I'm, yeah, I, you know, that's, I, you, that's you exactly the way I started. There's, yeah. there's programs called Couch to 5K and that's really how they start. Yeah. So, you know, if you wanted to start swimming, I would say to you, go and try by yourself if you've, had, if you've previously been a swimmer and just build it up very gradually, you know, 50 metres, take some rest. Do another 50, take some rest, whatever it is. So, or if you want to learn to swim, you've always wanted to, then go and do it. If you've always wanted to learn to run like me, then I should go and embark on finding someone to run with that will inspire me to do it and, and provide me with some guidance. But I think what I'm saying is find something that is physical that you can go after because there's so much that will come to you from that, not only in terms of physical well-being and mental well-being, you'll undoubtedly find a community that's built around that. You'll undoubtedly find some other opportunities that come along with that in terms of holiday destinations. If you're competitive, no doubt there's some sort of competition that you can get involved with. You know, it does talk to a lot of things in life and you will also hone your skills and there's nothing like honing a physical skill at an older age. Oh, it makes such a difference to your overall well-being. Just mm. particularly if you haven't done anything like that for a long time, you know, to feel like you're in control of your body again. Absolutely. Um, no, thank you. That's uh, that's a fabulous suggestion. Thank you very much for your time, Kari. It's been fantastic talking to you today, and I've really loved hearing about um, you know about the business, but also about you and uh, and the things that you're doing too. So thanks very much for your time. Oh, thank you, David. It's been terrific to be on your program. Thank you for listening to The Pursuit of Life. To learn more about how Knightswood House can help you live your life of adventure whilst planning your future, visit knightswood.com.au.